and welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, your one-stop shop for expert advice on the smart way to get in. My name is Ellen, and in each episode, I'll bring you an interview with a former admissions officer, a graduate of top college, or an admissions expert. These interviews will take you inside the admissions office and will be a full behind-the-scenes knowledge, first-hand experiences, and application tips that will help you get into your dream school. If you'd like to chat with one of our experts, you can sign up for a free consultation with the link in the description of this episode. Today, we'll hear from graduate coach and Columbia student, Poto Paramita, and Genius Prep's longtime digital content specialist on the subject of college waitlists. Hi, Poto. Thank you for joining us today. Hello. Thank you for having me. So I know that you've been the digital content specialist here at Ingenious for several years. Is there anything else you'd like to introduce about yourself? Uh, no, I can just tell you what that means. So digital content specialist means that I write the majority of the blogs and the e-resources that we put up on our website. So I've been looking at admissions websites and information for a couple of years. So I've picked up some knowledge along the way. Sure. And that's why we're so lucky that you're here today to talk to us about waitlists because you are our resident expert on it. So with that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and jump into my questions. Yeah. Uh, were you ever waitlisted at any schools? How did it make you feel? Did you have friends maybe who were waitlisted? Yeah, um, I was actually waitlisted at Wolsey College, which is where I ended up going. So my alma mater, I was an international student, so I had no idea about anything in the admissions process. So I was very lucky to get a waitlist. So I put in my deposit at a school that I was excited about, but then I also wrote my letter of continued interest. And actually in that process, I ended up falling in love with Wolsey. And I was like, you know, if I get in, I would really want to go to the school because I was talking to my friend who attended it and it sounded like a really great op opportunity. And when I got in, I was actually very excited. That's great. Yeah. I recall that I was waitlisted. I think at a couple schools, maybe U Chicago mm -hmm. and I don't really remember kind of like understanding what it really meant. I don't really ever remember having a good frame of reference mm -hmm. or, you know, understanding is there a 1% chance I get in yeah. or is there a 90% chance I get in? So yeah, I'm really hoping this is going to help students. Well, let's just jump in and say, you know, what is a wait list? Yes. So I know a lot of students have received waitlists this year because it's been so competitive due to the pandemic. A waitlist is what it sounds like. It's a list of alternate students who are actually all qualified to gain admission to a particular college. And if accepted students say no, those students are then recalled and asked to attend the school. Most colleges don't rank their waitlist, but some might. But colleges are very like secretive about this information. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's kind of a double-edged sword of if you receive that wait list, you know, you're happy that they think you're qualified, but at the mm -hmm. same time, it's sort of this limbo. And I think some students would prefer whether just to know yes or no. Right off the bat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's go into why are students waitlisted? Yes, that's a really good question. I think it helps students to know why exactly this is happening. Like you've probably heard about how universities want to maintain a certain yield rate or like a percentage of accepted students who actually end up attending the school because they know that realistically not everyone will say yes, but also because the number of spots in every college is limited and schools want a high yield. They don't want to not just admit all strong applicants, but they typically hope to accept people who they believe are likely to say yes back to them. And then, you know, like no one, not all students say yes. So 
not even at the most competitive schools in the world, like students will say no to some schools because some will be better fits. And so then they have like all these formulas and admit more students that they actually have room to accommodate. And then there's like a lot of math and they have like alternate students on the wait list, as I mentioned, where they place candidates who would be good fits, but some students are just like better fits for now. But then once they have space after admitted students say no or yes, and then they go through it and make sure like, oh, like this is as many students we can admit off of the wait list. And then they send some candidates on the wait list, the yes letters. I think we've all seen those articles where the college sort of messed up their yield and then you have the students like sleeping in the library or the students sleeping in the middle of the hallway because they ran out of dorms. And then on the other hand, when uh, schools mess up their yield and they let not enough people in, they end Mm -hmm. up, you know, deeply in the red. They're not making enough money. So yeah, I know from our former admissions officers, it's something they take really, really seriously. Yeah. I wonder if this year something like that will happen because everything has been so unpredictable, like how many students are likely to say yes with the present conditions and things like that. Yeah. I think that was from what I was reading, you know, the main issue last year is they weren't as aware about the pandemic and the consequences. Mm. So they ended up not having enough students on the wait list and then not being able to let enough students in versus mm-hmm. this year, I think they probably overcorrected. So we're going to see a lot more students on the wait list and we'll probably see more movement on the wait list, which is great right. for students. But if the wait lists are bigger, that also means you might have a smaller chance. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I you think I'd like to go in more specifically to how do the wait list work, the rankings work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think when students have admissions officers vouching for them, they will decide who is a better fit than the others. And that's generally how the rankings will occur, where they will think, oh, this student is a better fit than this other student on the wait list. So once students are placed on the wait list, they will have to accept or reject the position on the wait list. Many students choose to go somewhere else. So then they'll be like, oh, I don't want to be on your wait list after all. After admitted students have submitted their deposits, colleges will calculate how many students they need to fulfill the yield that they hope to show. And these kinds of things um, affect rankings. So they have to be really serious about that. So then they go and see who maintained interest and seen like gone through these letters and see like, oh, the student is actually interested in our college and would attend if admitted. And that's why it's important to, you know, insist on that in your letter of continued interest because they won't accept someone who's going to say no after the wait list. So then see who's maintained interest, who has dropped out, see how many students they want to accept. And then that's how they'll decide who gets off the wait list. And so students will generally hear back like mid-May to end of May because first May was the deposit deadline for schools. Sure. And also I think it's interesting that you mentioned rankings because I know some schools as well will admit less people, but maybe put more people on a wait list just so they can kind of like artificially lower their acceptance rate. Mm -hmm. I know at my school they I went to the University of Southern California and they didn't have a wait list, but they did have a spring admit program. Mm. So they, some students, they wouldn't get in, but they would get in a spring admits, which means they could do whatever they wanted the fall semester. And then they'd be invited to join in the spring. And then, you know, if there was students who didn't join the freshman class and their yield was a bit off, they would bring Mm -hmm. the student, the spring admits in. Mm -hmm. And I know that's one way that their acceptance rate was sort of artificially lowered is because these like transfer students and these spring admits weren't really being counted. So I think it is good to know for a lot of students, you know, it's not just about your qualifications. You don't need to 
look down on yourself. So much of it is about money. So much is mm-hmm. about it is about, you know, prestige for the school. Right. Right. Because you're on the wait list, it means that you're a good fit and you are qualified. So you shouldn't look down your, on yourself at all. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then I think I also really want to get into what are the specific factors that affect you getting off the wait mm-hmm. list? Because it isn't like, you know, a computer science major doesn't accept his spot. So they're going to let the theater major in. Yeah, right. Of course. So like you said, they do have specific criteria set up like this many, you know, students of color or like you said, computer science majors. That's definitely one factor. Oh, what are they looking out of the total class that year? So they don't really want focus on like individual diverse uh, students necessarily. They want to, you know, a diverse class, whole class of 2025 that will bring different experiences and backgrounds all together. Other than that, your interest in the school is huge. If you've researched the school, you have to let them know through the letter of continued interest. That's a big thing is that they need to know that you will come to join them in the fall once you get in. And then another factor that affects your chances is something that's out of your control, which is other students' decision to attend the school or not. And then it also depends on which college because different colleges are notorious for not accepting anyone of the whitelist historically. And then I would say probably the climate of the particular year. For example, if colleges knew last year that they were going to have online classes entirely, they may have accepted you know, international students, for example, despite their inability to travel, whereas colleges that had in-person classes wanted students with access to their campus. So that might have affected the wait list. Like, oh, this person is locally based. We should accept them. Then they can attend our college type of thing. And when we're thinking about, you know, movement on the wait list based Mm -hmm. on other students' decisions, I think that one thing our team has seen this year is that, you know, these very top colleges, the Harvards, the Yales, their admissions rates drop so low, they dropped to about 3%. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason is because they had more applications, but part of the reason also was because they had students from last year who deferred. Yeah. And so when you have this sort of this like artificial funneling of the students getting into those top schools like Harvard, mm-hmm. the who maybe would have gotten to Harvard or getting into, you know, the um, second tier, the students who would have gotten to some second tier, like 10 through 20 colleges or getting into the 20 through 30 colleges. Mm-hmm. So kind of as you go through like each level of strata, the students are getting pushed farther and farther back just because this has been, you know, such an exceptional year. Mm-hmm. And I really do hope students are aware of how much, you know, is not in their control, how much right. is, you know, maybe you would have been the perfect fit, but they just already had five other people from your city. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a student. I just got my waitlist notification. Mm -hmm. What are my next steps? Yeah. I think first of all, you have to understand that it's not a guarantee, especially with how competitive it is now. You have to be realistic about your choices. So put in a deposit somewhere else. You know, if you have other options that you're excited about, go ahead. If you do want to attend college next year, that's important. Accept the spot. Don't forget to say, yes, I want to be on the wait list because if you forget to do it, they're not considering you. Write a letter of continued interest. Like this is absolutely a given at this point. If you want a shot, you have to email your admissions representative and say, hey, I am still interested in your college. And the key here is to make sure that you mentioned things that weren't included in your original application. So supplemental essays will say, oh, why do you want to attend our school? But you will have to find new things that you didn't mention last time around and also include updates such as, you know, new grades, new awards, anything that will showcase that you've continued to work hard in your classes and your activities that will impress the admissions officer. 
also important to know what the school wants because Michigan, for example, the University of Michigan wants students to write a 250 word essay on why you Michigan that's different from the supplemental essay, like I said, and the UCs on the other hand, most of the, uh, you know, University of California schools don't even check for you know, waitlist letters. So there's no point writing to them. So do a little bit of research and see what colleges have welcomed in the past. Um, have your counsel reach out to the school as well. This is really important. Uh, one of my students has their principal reach out to the school. That has made definitely a difference. It's like to show that teachers or counselors or people who know you in an academic context are confident about your abilities to contribute to a classroom and definitely support your presence in those environments. And that is a good testament to how you are as a student. So that's like important to maintain those relationships with your counselors and your teachers to have their support. So that said, send another recommendation letter. If last time you had your math and English teacher, this time ask your like Spanish or history teacher or a different person to do that. I remember when I got waitlisted, I asked a third teacher, but this teacher had been an alum of the college where I got waitlisted, which helped so much because she could connect my, you know, involvements and activities with how I would thrive at that college and campus. And that definitely is a big support because colleges love their alums alums give donations alums you know provide support in many ways so if you can have the alum of a college vouch for you to that college that is very helpful also check if the college accepts supplemental material because sometimes if you're a writer or a researcher if you send like you know, your research paper or your writing portfolio that can show them the hard work that you've persevered to, you know, pursue while you've been in this pandemic, while you've been a student, like, oh, I've submitted my applications and I'm done with everything. No, like you have to have a genuine interest in your field. So that is something that definitely helps. And last of all, just like be respectful, like be respectful full of their time they're taking you know the time out of their day to do this don't harass them don't keep calling your rep and being like hey did I get off yet kind of thing no just wait patiently do everything you can and just like wait it out like maybe things will work out yeah you know I don't I don't think I was very knowledgeable at all about wait lists when I was a senior I kind of mm -hmm. just went to my college counselor and <clears throat> the college counselor at my school and you know I said Oh, I have these wait lists. What do I do with them? And she said, you know, write a letter of continued interest. So I did. And I think looking back, my letters of continued interest were not great. It was good mm -hmm. that I wrote them and submitted them. But I think that I really was kind of just rehashing my application of, you know, here are mm -hmm. my great qualities. Here are reasons I want to go to your school. Whereas I think it would have been a lot more successful if I had, you know, provided updates of yeah. since I submitted my application, here are three more impressive things I did. Right. And here are two very specific reasons I want to go to your school. Because maybe like 90% of people who submit their applications are just going to say, you know, I want to go to wait. Uh, I want to go to Yale. They have great mm -hmm. classes. They have right. good professors. But I know one of our students who just got into Yale this year, he wrote one of his supplemental essays, like very specifically about Yale's directed studies program. Mm -hmm. And you really need to take that time to do the research for the schools because no one's going to do it for you. Yeah. And if you do, the school knows not only are you a good fit, but they also know that you're more likely to accept that spot because you have done the research, you have shown that passion. 
Yeah, I know that uh, many students are probably confused, but the internet is your friend. There are so many free resources like this podcast online, and you can find samples of letters of continued interest that you can take a look at and see what has worked for students and for, uh, you know, admissions offices and, you know, write your own. That's actually really good. And we'll link some of your blogs on getting waitlisted in the bio for this episode. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely check that out. We have a lot of really good free resources. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you kind of talked about how some schools have a lot of movement on their wait lists mm-hmm. and how some it's a little bit kind of just symbolic and nobody really gets off. So mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about, <clears throat> you know, very specifically, what are the odds at different schools, especially top schools? Yeah, absolutely. So it completely depends on the college, like I said. So a college like Princeton, which has been number one on the U.S. news for the last decade, I think, has waitlisted thousands of students in the past and accepted none. Basically, they will waitlist 1,100 students and like the majority, like 800, 900 will accept. And ultimately, they take no one because Princeton is already, you know, a top school. So most students who will get admitted will say yes to them. And then they're left with Um, no spots to offer. Stanford has waitlisted about 900 in the past and accepted 30. So even if it is a slim chance, if you are a top student and you're a good fit, you have more of a chance to get admitted to Stanford than to Princeton. For um, liberal arts colleges, they will um, still have really large waitlists. Like Williams had 1,772 a couple of years ago, and they accepted about 76 students. So liberal arts colleges accept more students off of the wait list, even if they might waitlist a lot of people. I know that Wellesley has accepted about like 30 in the past. And then for the UCs, we talked about this, you shared an article with me yesterday, and it's a completely whole other ballgame there because they're not accepting these letters of continued interest. So they probably do rank the wait list and have a sort of system so but again it depends on the UC school like UC Santa Barbara which is a little bit less competitive than the other California schools let in 97% of the wait list which is like goes to show that maybe not a lot of the accepted students you know said yes to their spot because you know partially maybe during due to the virus or due to you know getting in somewhere else because usually UC SB has been a safety historically for other students whereas UCLA which is very much a reach for most most students is far more competitive and accepted 19% of the people off the wait list last year so I think it really depends on where you want to go and how realistic you want to be with your chances or if you want to maybe take a gap year or something that's also up to you. Yeah I did uh, you know just like a double triple take when I saw that Santa Barbara percentage because I mean that's just hard to imagine but I think what's good about the UC schools and public schools in general is that data is public yes you can um you should be able to find it online if you can't you could probably file a freedom of information request Mm -hmm. but if you are applying to a public school you should be able to find that data and you can also just kind of do a little bit of mental math so like you said Princeton's the top college so a lot of students aren't going to say no to Princeton but you can also kind of imagine, well, who would say no to Princeton? You know, mm-hmm. I could think of someone, if they gone to Princeton, maybe they also got into Yale. Yeah. Maybe Yale has a better fit for them. Yeah, it depends yeah. on the yeah. program too. And like what, you know, Yale is better known for his theater program, for example. So I, yeah. as a theater student, would want to admit, yeah, want to attend Yale rather than Princeton kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's not hopeless. You definitely have a chance. Um, but at the same time, it is a small chance but that doesn't at all reflect on you as a candidate or your qualifications. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah. I mean, I think I really just want to keep going back to that idea of, I remember college admissions being such a difficult time, especially as you're comparing yourself to others. And, um, I went into high school kind of when Instagram was becoming very popular. Mm. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of students are seeing their friends post in their, you know, decision day pictures of them in their college apparel. Yeah. And, you know, it's really hard not to compare yourself to others, but just know that you're an exceptional candidate and this has been a very, very exceptional year. Yeah. I think let's go into that. Let's talk about what waitlist changes we have seen in the 2021 admission cycle. You know, how do we expect mm-hmm. those changes to affect the likelihood of students getting off the waitlist and how do we expect them to affect college admissions going forward? Absolutely. I think um, currently there isn't much data because we're, you know, it's just May 4th. So I think colleges are still deciding, but I can tell you what the predictive data looked like. So this year waiting lists are the worst ever, meaning the longest ever because applications have gone so high. Part of this is because of the test optional policies. A lot of, you know, minority and low income applicants have decided to take the plunge because the SAT has been, you know, this, you know, historically disadvantaged just to people who may not have the access to prepare for it properly. Mm -hmm. So in the past, they may have felt unwelcome to attend colleges, but now they feel more confident now that SAT scores aren't needed. And so then many of the top colleges also admitted law large early decision or early action classes because they might have not felt confident with how the regular decision might turn out. So, you know, the result of all of these changes is that predicting yield is likely to become more difficult. So if a college took more early decision, early action candidates, they might not admit a lot of students off the wait list. However, um, when colleges are worried about yield, they can rely more on wait lists because if what if they accepted more students who are likelier to say no rather than students who are likely to say yes. So it's all kind of hard to predict, but I think there will be a lot of movements on the wait list because a lot of colleges um, are still deciding who they want and a lot of students had have had options on where they want to go. So not all colleges will be satisfied with the class that they have. And things are getting a lot better now. So I think that we'll see a little more normalcy than we did for the 2020 admission cycle. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, there are students and families who are having economic issues and that might affect their ability to say yes to a college. Yeah. You know, there are students who might have health issues that where they can't travel, they have to stay home. There might be Mm -hmm. concerns about vaccination. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone has equal access to the vaccines at this point. So that might affect their like decision to travel or attend college, especially because most colleges are saying that you need to be fully vaccinated to be on campus in the fall. Yeah. And I think you know, being waitlisted isn't the end of the world and students, they can do these steps. They can do their letter of continued interest. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll get lucky. Maybe they'll get off the waitlist. A lot of them won't. So Mm -hmm. what are their next steps if they still want to attend Yale, but they didn't get off the waitlist? Yeah. I was actually talking to my student who was recently waitlisted on Princeton on what her options are. So I think the biggest advice here is that if you don't want to take a gap year, and we'll talk about gap years in a second, but if you want to attend college immediately, like you want to get out of the house, you know, start already, um, transfer to a school or start, submit your deposit to a school where it makes sense that you would want to transfer from. So if you want to attend a liberal arts school, such as Williams or Amherst or whatever, it makes sense to transfer from a very different school, such as a large state school. So the Contrast of institutions often makes a strong case for a transfer, but if you want to transfer to 
a large university such as Princeton or the UCs, you can attend the small liberal arts colleges. So then, you know, admissions officers will see that, oh, like this student is in a very different college right now and might not really be fond of the experience. So it makes sense that they want to come to our school. It is essential, however, that you do focus on the present because transferring is very competitive and by no means any sort of guarantee. But so it's important that you think about which college will I be happy at even if for a year. So at the moment, think of like what's happening right now. You can of course take a gap year and reapply. In that case, you might have to do things a little differently than you did in this year, because obviously like, you know, if you didn't get in, there must might've been reasons. So spend your time productively and take on leadership skills, uh, new projects in your field of interest, retake the SAT if your score wasn't great, or if you didn't have a score. I think a lot of students might feel that, oh, a strong SAT score can, you know, provide me with the support I didn't have last time. Rewrite your personal statement. That could be a thing that prevents you from standing out from other students if other students had more compelling stories to tell. It's about make sure that admissions officers see that you didn't just sit home and do nothing when you didn't attend college for a year, like make sure they see that you've improved and work hard in the area that you're interested in. I know a lot of students really want that four-year university experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I certainly did, and there's a lot of great reasons for that, but, uh, you know, especially financially, if you start out at a community college or, you know, a state school and you can get all of your GEs done at a very, very low cost and then transfer to maybe a liberal arts college or, you know, Northwestern or Yale for your mm -hmm. final two years, you will save so, so much money. That's a really good point. Yeah. And if you're wanting to maybe go to grad school, if you're hoping to be a lawyer, if you're hoping to be a doctor, mm -hmm. you know, that's very specific, uh, significant savings, especially if you're looking to probably go into a lot of student debt for your grad degree. Right. So it, it may not seem like what all the other people from your school are doing. And it may seem like a, like a big loss, you know, that loss mm -hmm. of that traditional freshman experience that we're so, um, that we really emphasize in America. But in the long term, it might actually be a decision that you really are happy that you made. Yeah. I know. Yeah, students, don't, yeah. yeah. Don't compare yourself. I think this has just become such a different year than all others. Things are just wild and unpredictable. So um, just forget what it would look like on Instagram and focus on what you think is the best for your future. Yeah, I think this is, you know, a, a great time for students to like delete Instagram just for a yeah. couple of weeks, you know, delete it from your phone, take a little social media detox, you know, I'm sure you have finals to focus on. You want to yeah. really be present for your last couple of weeks of high school with your friends. So just kind of remove yourself mm -hmm. from that race of constantly comparing to other people. You yeah. can, you can maybe do a gap year. You can do an internship. You can really gain, mm -hmm. you know, more insight into your field of interest. Yeah. I know students who, um, for the spring admit program at USC. So the students would come into the spring as their first semester as a freshman. And so during the fall, a lot of them would go abroad and they had these programs where you could go to, you know, like a university in Paris or Denmark mm -hmm. and knock out some of your GEs and yeah. you'd be able to be with other people at your age, you'd bond with them, you'd get these really exciting experiences. You know, so this isn't the end of the line. You can find yeah. really exciting things to do. You just have to look for them. Yeah, it's all so arbitrary and, you know, things work out for the best. So look around you. Don't just be disheartened by this and let it get you down. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so do you have any final words of support for class of 2025? 
Yeah. Um, you know, this was such a tough cycle as we were just talking about. Don't take this personally, especially if you've been waitlisted. That's a good thing. It means that you're qualified to attend the school and you might get in. So, you know, they just had too many applications, but we'll see how things work out. So right for now, work hard in school. Senior year is important. Focus on those APs, those IBs those scores are crucial and write a compelling letter of continued interest, do your research, make sure you've covered all bases, have your teachers backing you up and give it your best shot. Things will work out one way or the other. They always do. Just focus on the present and make sure you just give it your all. And I think students will be very comforted to know that you did get waitlisted at Wellesley mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you ended up there. You had an amazing time and now you're at Columbia. So yeah, things will work out great for you. They really will. much for joining us today, Poto. I'm sure your insight into the headache that is college waitlist is deeply appreciated by our listeners. For more information on navigating college waitlist, be sure to check out our blog written by Poto, linked in the episode description. There are a ton of helpful articles that will help you figure out how to get off the waitlist and onto campus. If you have any questions or you'd like to request a topic for a future episode, go ahead and give us a follow and send us a message on social with the hashtag InsideAdmissions. That's all for now. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.